0: Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 16. Once, as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Or as we said, a python spirit last week. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. She did this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the Spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. When her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, These men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are proclaiming customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. The crowds joined in the attack against them, and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself, since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, because we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house. He set a meal before them and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. When daylight came, the chief magistrates sent the police to say, release those men. The jailer reported these words to Paul. Oh, the magistrates have sent orders for you to be released. So come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They beat us in public without a trial, although they knew, although we were, I'm sorry, although we, we are Roman citizens and threw us in jail, and now they're going to send us away secretly? <clears throat> Certainly not. On the contrary, let them come themselves and escort us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to appease them and escorting them from the prison, they urged them to leave town. After leaving the jail, they came to Lydia's house where they saw and encouraged the brothers and sisters and departed. Lord, we thank you for your word and this wonderful and beautiful and powerful testimony of, of, of Lord, of your, your, the way that your salvation and the way that your spirit works and draws and, and moves and does miracles but also does miracles in the sights of men. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that you would open our eyes to the joy that Paul and Silas were experiencing, even in the midst of these difficult circumstances. Lord, show us the victory that they, that they walked in. Show us the lives of hope and joy that they walked in, that they could do these radical and amazing good works. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for your spirit. Lead us and teach us here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so this morning, we're looking at this, this, the, the element that we're going to focus on is Paul and Silas. And so if you've been with us, we started reading this, we read this passage last week and talked about the hope of healing, the hope of healing that, that these, that, you know, Paul and, that, I'm sorry, that, that Paul and Silas brought to the, the girl who was there that was possessed by a, a python spirit, the spirit of the avatar, she was an avatar um, or an ep, epithet is what it's called, of the god Apollo. She was a prophetess that would that would foretell the future that they were going to create. And so whoa. And so um, this morning we want to, I want to focus in on this this element where Paul and Silas are in prison. Now how many of how many of us in in our lives feel like we are prisoners to our own life? <laughs> right? Like I I feel like like we prayed last year, last year for a breakthrough. We want to break through the drudgery. We want to break through and into newness. And maybe that's where you're feeling this year. Maybe you're like, maybe instead of release, you're like, God, I just need that breakthrough that I, that I was waiting for. I need a breakthrough from the garbage. I need a breakthrough from, the, from the, the monotony. I need a breakthrough, Lord Jesus, from even my own mind, my own head, my own problems, my own addictions, or my own isolation. I need breakthrough Lord Jesus from bad habits. I need breakthrough Lord Jesus from bad relationships. Either unhealthy relationships or lack thereof. I need breakthrough to have relationships. Have healthy relationships. Lord, I need breakthrough in my faith. I just feel like I just I can't get into it Lord. I just I feel like every time I pick up the Bible it's so weird and confusing reading in Revelation about these weird beasts and eyeballs and horns and all sorts. Of, it scares me, God. I don't get it. But what God wants, I feel like what God wants to, to do this morning is to show us a very beautiful and clear, hopefully, <laughs> picture of what it means that joy of what joy is. And joy is, is here's my, my definition here this morning, that joy is living a life fulfilling purpose, both as a noun and a verb. That's how kind of, why I worded it that way. Life, I'm sorry, joy is living a life fulfilling purpose, of fulfilling the purpose that God has in your life, but also is a fulfilling purpose. Living a life that is fulfilling your purpose in life, what God has for you. What God's, the, you know, when God was like fashioning you in your, in your mom's womb, He was like, "This, this, this human right here is going to be good. going to be great at this. They're going to be. This is my purpose for making them, because you the, God created all of us with a purpose, for a reason, with potential. And so, what is that? in your lives? What is that in this next season of our lives? And that's where, the revel- where I feel like a revelation in, in a lot of our lives needs to come forth this morning. What is the joy? What is the purpose of our lives? Because God desires us to walk in joy, to fulfill that purpose. The number one purpose for all of us is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. The, the great proclamation of the, the, the uh, well, it's John, John Piper's translation of the, gosh, what is it called? My goodness, one of the, one of the creeds. <laughs> I, it's slipping my brain for some reason right now. Um, but the, the grand purpose, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And so joy is fulfilling that purpose. Is walking and living a life to where you feel like you are pursuing and living into that purpose. You're fulfilling your chief end of man or woman, mankind. And so, write that down. So, joy is living a life fulfilling purpose. So, as we get here, I want to I go into our passage here this morning and kind of take a deeper look. So, pray and praise instead. That's what Paul and Silas were doing. They were, I mean, think about this. Right before they were singing and praising, what was happening? They were falsely accused. They were. Illegally and severely beaten. Look at the words there. Look at the words it says. They were severely flogged. A lot of times, you know, all the pictures that I found of this were like them just like chilling there, like their bodies are great. You know, no blood anywhere or scabs or cuts or gashes or bruises or, you know, they're like, ah, you know, when they're, and their bodies just like torn up, severely flogged. These people were injured. They were, these guys were sore. They were hurting. They were ble- probably, well, the, the bleeding had probably stopped at this point. But there were scars. I mean, they're all, you know, already, there, were, there were open wounds all over their back and face. Dried blood everywhere. Their, their clothes were probably ripped and torn. Like we said, they had, had their clothes stripped off. So they were probably torn in the process. Just ragged. They were severely beaten. They were, these guys were injured. They were improperly arrested, as we'll find out later, and then imprisoned and bound with chains on their feet. And then, I'm sorry, they were bound with chains and their feet were put in stocks. And so they were sitting there. They they're, they're you know, probably, you know, probably super uncomfortable, which is probably why they were still awake at, at midnight. But here's the thing. They were awake. What should have they been? They should have been resting. They they were injured. Their bodies were bruised. They were tired. Right? They should be resting and asleep, healing, resting their bodies, praying for the trial in the morning and concerned about their release. But what what were they doing? At midnight. At at midnight. At midnight. Middle of the night. They're up. And they're praying and they're singing and were the were the people around them saying shut up no what is it they were listening the prisoners were listening to them the prisoners were awake these were gentile prisoners listening to jewish prayers and songs listening to proclamations of jesus christ and their submission and their faith in Him. They're hearing these things. They're being moved by these things. They're listening intently. Because one of the greatest and most powerful testimonies or tools that we as a church throughout history, for like the last 2,000 years, the most powerful testimony that we have had is our ability to suffer well under persecution to suffer joyfully for the Lord and to endure hardships well, knowing that we have a greater hope and salvation on the other side of suffering and even death. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when, his joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name for the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. I even had a conversation this week about someone who said, man, they're calling me a bigot and they're calling me hateful, but I love them. Like I've been trying, I've been kind to them. I've been working with them for so many years and now they're starting to call me a hateful bigot because I believe differently. I'm like, remember we talked about this? We had to get used to being called all the names in the book for doing good, for believing our faith, for being faithful to Jesus Christ to being faithful to what the Word of God says. We have to get used to being called every name in the book and being okay with being called a bigot. Well, you're a bigot. Okay, thanks. Cool. Jesus still loves you, though. Jesus still wants you to be a bigot with me and be stubbornly standing in your faith and on the Word of God. Why? Because that's where the joy is found. They weren't sitting there in the prison, you know, and and singing because it was a religious obligation. They're like, "Hey, oh, hey, Silas, we got to wake up because God's watching. We got, we got to perform for God. We gotta, we gotta do good things so that God will be pleased with us." No, they were doing it because the joy of the Lord was in them. They knew that they were loved already by God. They weren't trying to earn, you know, brownie points with Yahweh. They had all the brownie points in the world, and they were giving them away. They're sharing the brownies. They're sharing the goodies because of the joy that was in them. First Timothy chapter 2 says first of all then I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good. And it pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truths. Uh, to the truth. So he's saying like, nav- the way that we navigate life is important. The way that we go about sharing our faith is important. We don't want to be that guy who's just like shoving it down their throats, right? We don't want to be the people who are like, you know, these people are falsely accusing them. Um, I love how it says in, in uh, the Passion Translation, you know, these, these Jewish these Jewish bigots are shoving their religion down our, sh- down our throats. We don't ever want to be, be those kinds of people who are really, truly shoving our faith down people's throats, right? We want to present it and invite, invite them into it, showing them our, our lives. What? Showing them our lives. Doing good, as it said in the, in the last passage, and right at the, at the end there. And trusting ourselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. As even Jesus said, they will see your good works, they will see our lives, what we do, and glorify you. Praise you. No. Glorify our Father in heaven. Right? That's the whole purpose. That's the glory of our joy. That's the glory of our faith. And we want to invite people into it without being one of those people. Presenting the gospel and one of the things I love is that I mean I've seen who's seen like one of those or and listened to those the people that are the street preachers that are just jerks. You've heard of those people? Right? Turn your burn sinners, you're going to hell. Don't listen to this guy, he's an antichrist. He's a false preacher. God hates you unless you repent. Right? You're going to hell in a handbasket. Right? We've heard those people. They're jerks. And that is not the gospel. The gospel is that we have a, a God who loves us, who loves the world so much that he sent his only son to the world to die on the cross so that anyone who puts their faith in him and trusts their lives to him would not perish but have eternal life with him in his kingdom. With his. It's an invitation. It's not how I invite people over for Christmas. Turn or burn. Repent or be alone. Oh, here's my brisket, but you can't have any. Right? No, it's an invitation of the goodies. Come, grandma made her famous pies. Come, daddy's smoking a turkey. We show people the goodies of our faith because that's what God is inviting all of us to. He's not inviting us to a drudgery life of religion and garbage. He's inviting us to a life of flourishing, of joy, a life of purpose, a life of glory, experiencing His glory in all of its glorious glory. (laughs) Write that one down. It's great. (laughs) <laughs> glorious glory Experience his glory with all of his glorious glory it's good i like it that's what he's inviting us into what this is good leading our lives praying for those around us it pleases god our savior because he wants everyone he wants everyone he wants everyone to come to the knowledge of the truth and so be saved Here's the thing, though. The enemy wants to bind, but God wants to to free. The enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy wants to keep people under his thumb. It's interesting. Think about those. You know, steal, kill, and destroy. Steal. The enemy wants to steal it. Why? Because it has value. He wants to kill it because it has life and he just wants to put an end to it. He wants to stop it. He wants to stop you. He wants to steal that which is valuable to you, away from you, family, friends, relationships, your faith, the joy. He wants to steal it because it's got value. He wants to kill because he wants to end you, end your effectiveness, trip you up, make you stumble. But he also wants to not only kill you, but he wants to destroy you. That he wants to erase even the memory of you from history. He wants to ruin your reputation in everyone's eyes who knew you. That's his desire for you. But God has come that we may have life. And have it abundantly, overflowing, exceedingly joy, exceeding joy. Because I mean, like, we might be like, well, I'm not really suffering right now. I mean, life is pretty good. I mean, others might be like, oh, this life sucks. Oh, this happened and this happened. My dog got out again. You know, like, no one likes me. No one, you know, I have no time for this. I mean, it's like, it, it, you know, some of us might be like in the throes of suffering. But some of us might be like, oh, life is is pretty good. Like, how are you? I'm actually pretty good. You know, my wife left me, but she's come back today. (laughs) But, so we have this, I'm looking forward to my father-in-law coming and spending a week with us. We're driving back right now. Thank the Lord. Oh, having kids alone is difficult. (laughs) But you remind me, I'm like, my life is okay. Like, I'm not in the throes of suffering. I'm not in the throes of crisis right now. We don't, I mean, here, because here's the thing. Like, we don't always want to, we don't want to live our lives in this, like, suffering and victim mentality, right? We don't, oh, you know, how are things? Well, we, oh, we should feel like life is crazy and we're suffering. No, oh, no, like, no, we don't have to suffer. We don't have to be in the midst of suffering. We can, we can be okay, and we can get to a place of being okay. Even in, in the midst of us being in the throes of suffering. Even in the midst of suffering, we don't live our lives in that mentality of suffering and victim mentality. We don't wait. Here's the thing. Because we don't, even in the midst of us being okay, we don't wait to give Jesus our prayer and praise until we're in the throes of suffering. How many of us is like, God only really gets our attention when we are in the throes of crisis? Versus can you invite God to share in your joy? In your mundane, day in, day out drudgery? For him, yeah, because we need him every day. I need you every hour, every hour. I need you every hour. That's a reliance always upon his goodness, upon his grace, upon his presence. Paul and Silas weren't sitting here in the prison with the victim mentality. Because here's the thing. I, I, I did a little bit of research and it, I found some interesting, interesting dynamics between the two mentalities of victim and victor. Not the name, not the guy, like not like Victor Montana, but like victor, like victory, Right? So the three things that, you know, that uh, victim mentality hold three, three beliefs. Number one, bad things have happened in the past and will continue to happen. Two, others, other people are to blame for your misfortune. And three, there's no point in even trying to make things better because it will not work. That is a victim mentality. There are, you know, those with a victor mentality hold three contrasting beliefs. Number one, God has been faithful in the past and he will continue to be faithful in the future. Number two, take responsibility for how, we take responsibility for how to respond to people and circumstances and feel like we can make them better through God who gives us strength. Number three, They have faith that God will work all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. There's hope. There's joy. Even in the midst of crappy circumstances, even in the midst of crappy seasons, it could be a season you're in. It could be like like a year or more. The crappy season. But God will work all things for the good. It's an interesting. I love this. I found this here actually this morning, and it's, uh, it's actually I kind of spiritualized it. But it's in, it, a lot, of, a lot of what he was saying was so spot on. This was like a fitness coach. It was kind of funny, but I love this interesting contrast. So listen to these different contrasts, and these are both you know practically, but we can see them and hear them spiritually as well. So don't just like you know take them as like you know get to the gym and work out. No, like work out your faith. Right here we go. When a victim screws up he finds a reason to say, it wasn't my fault. When a victor screws up, he, they own it and say, I was wrong. A victim is often overwhelmed. Oh, I'm just so busy. I'm overwhelmed. I just can't find the time to do what is necessary. I'm just too busy being busy. A victor works through a problem no matter how frustrating. The adage that it's better to climb over, climb over and down the mountain once than to just keep circling it over and over and over again because of fear. A victim keeps going round and round the problem, never gets past it, and often doesn't really want to. Let me say that one again. That was was one that was like, ooh, this is good. A victim keeps going round and round the problem, never gets past it, and often doesn't want to. A, vic- a victor works harder than a victim and they say, and they, I'm sorry, and they make time when they don't seem to have any. It's called sacrifice. A victim makes excuses. A victor takes responsibility. A victim makes promises. A victor makes commitments. A victim says, this is bad, but at least I'm not as bad as other people I know. A victor says, this is bad, but I can make it better. A victim resents those superior to him or her and looks for chinks in their armor. A victor respects those further along than them in what they're trying to accomplish and seeks humility to learn from them. A victim looks for people or situations to blame. True responsibility for the goal scares them. A victor takes responsibility for the goal beyond the goal and into the realm of personal character. A victim thinks, I'm special and that's why I can't succeed doing it the normal way. A victor thinks, I'm not special but I will work hard and see progress. A victim tries to skirt the general principles and spiritual disciplines and looks for secrets and shortcuts. A victor marries themselves to the general principles and spiritual disciplines and presses into them over and over on repeat. A victim complains about boredom and other elements of life. A victor embraces daily life and processes, and the processes to cultivate life. A victim is all about the outcome. A victor is all about the preparation. What it takes to get there. A victim is nervous and afraid to fail. A victor is excited and anticipates flourishing. Paul and Silas could have easily, easily slipped into the victim mentality. Oh, this was an injustice. Oh, look, woe is us. We're suffering. We're going to fight it in the courts. We're angry at, these, at this injustice and we're going to see God's you know, justice. How dare they beat us? Oh, or, or the, oh, they beat us. Man, look at all that. We just can't catch a break. Every city we go to, they hate us. Every city, they, they arrest us and, and beat us up. I mean, look, we weren't even allowed to share the gospel in all of Asia. <coughs> we should just go back home. Because at least we know in Antioch there's a church that loves us. Hmm, Sounds like Israel in the desert. Let's go back to Egypt where we have three meals a day. Let's go back to slavery. What is the slavery that we're tempted to go back into? That's where our victim mentality lives. But where does God want to give us freedom? Remember, the enemy wants to bind us, enslave us, but God wants to free us. They kept their faith. They pressed into Christ deeper and deeper. They walked in a victor mentality. The time is coming, you guys, and is already now here, really, where we will, we where we must choose between doing what is right and doing what is easy. And yes, I stole that from the great theologian Dumbledore. But it's a good quote. A time is coming and is now here when we, the church, when we, God's saints, must choose and will need and have to and be required to choose between doing what is right, saying what is right, believing what is right, or saying or doing what is easy. Because, oh, just the status quo. Keep the status quo. Don't ruffle the feathers. If we don't say this, we don't do this, we can have peace. If we don't stand for our faith, what will happen? Who will stand for Christ? Who will stand for the truth if not for us? Does God desire for you to suffer? Yeah! Suffering feels good. In fact, I even have a suffering badge. I'm a first class sufferer. I tell you what. Does God desire us to suffer? It's like, yes, children, suffer. No, God does not want us to suffer. But he will use your suffering and he will be with you in the suffering. But he doesn't desire your suffering. God doesn't need you to suffer for him, to be glorified. Or for you to know that he's good. (laughs) but he will show you that he's good in the midst of your suffering. And in turn, we can and should say and do things in the midst of our suffering that show others that he is good and give him glory. Our God always desires freedom, hope, and joy in every circumstance. You ever played that game, Two Truths and a Lie, Mm -hmm. where you go around the circle or something like that, and you, and your task is to tell two truths, but then one little one lie. Mm -hmm. No, like I like hunting, and I used to love wearing tutus, and I have a wonderful, gorgeous wife. except I did. And I used to love it because it was a way that I connected to my sister. <laughs> I was a younger brother. I mean, I was my, my sister's, you know, live, make, you know, dress-up doll, <laughs> right? But we do this whole, you know, two truths and a lie game, right? And it's kind of a fun game where you go around the circle and you learn kind of these deep secrets from your coworkers or your, your friends, whatever it is. But the, so the true premise, true premise and then a false conclusion, or false, a false, false lie. And this is what the enemy does. He works with the truth. He takes that which is true, and he twists it into a false conclusion. There's a, I took a class, a logic class in college, and we were talking about know, A plus B equals C, right? But you can also get two truth premises: true premise A, true premise B, and then still end up with a false conclusion unless that false and unless that conclusion is true because if that false conclusion is there then it makes the the two, the truth the two truths sometimes li- also lies let me let me, know what it, let me tell you, tell you what I want to I mean by this satan is the king of false conclusions he will take truths or things that are factual and twist them to accuse you. So the enemy, life and the enemy will falsely accuse you. I mean, his name means accuser. And speak lies and curses against you and beat you down and then send their forces to oppress you and keep you ineffective and in bondage to the garbage. He will do this through certain elements of truth. What do I mean by that? You messed up, and you did fill in the blank, whatever that is. In your life, that first thought that just popped in your head, put that in the blank. You just did, you messed up, you done messed up by Aaron, and you did this, or said this. Therefore, put in the false conclusion. Therefore, God can't use you. Therefore, God doesn't want to bless you. Therefore, God doesn't want to see you. How many of us are taught that by our parents? You made us mad? Get away from me. You need to go clean yourself up before you can come and pray and worship and praise me. Or even read scripture. I used to write in the front of my Bibles, this will keep me from sin. Comma. Sin will keep me from this. Because when we have sinned, when we've gone in and done something stupid, that is not who we are, not our true identity. When we keep going back to our vomit, you know what that is. We keep going back to our vomit. We don't want to read the Bible. We don't want to spend time in God's presence. We feel the shame. We feel guilt. We feel, and what does the enemy like to do? (laughs) Ah, exactly. You should feel that way, you dirty, rotten worm. You don't deserve God. You don't deserve God's love. But those are the times when God is like, come near me. Come close. You need me now more than ever. Come to me. Don't run from me. Come to me. This. The enemy is the king of false conclusions, but the Lord is the king of truth, is the king of love, is the prince of peace. The enemy loves the false conclusion. He loves to barricade you. He loves to box you in and make you feel closed in and isolated and cut off by the garbage that we've surrounded our, our lives with. But but God is going to shake some walls. God is going to shake the walls. Jesus is going to set you free. God wants to set you free. He wants to tear down those walls that you that you have built to try to protect yourselves. He wants to tear down those walls so that you can fully embrace him so that he can fully embrace you. Jesus is going to break you free. I love this passage. Hebrews chapter 12. Do you see what this means? This is the message translation. All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never, ever quit. No, no extra spiritual fat no parasitic sins, keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was heading. That exhilarating finish in and with God, he put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right beside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. I love how Eugene Peterson put that. Running the race. <clears throat> Throw off anything and everything that would want to trip you up. Throw you off course. Anything and everything that would agree with the enemy's false narratives. Throw it off. Get rid of it. Stop claiming it as your identity. Let the Spirit break off of you those those things so that you can run the race, endure, keep the faith, cultivate life around you, cultivate life in your lives, in your faith. I see... I see these things. I see these things breaking off of you. What's breaking off? What are we talking about? What are the things that are breaking off? What, th- what are the things that are tripping us up? I mean, it's, it's so easy to go to the, the obvious things, right? But these are the things that I see God breaking off because there's a new life on the inside. Things like, of course. Alcoholism, gambling, cigarettes, marijuana, shopping, or as my grandmother used to call it, retail therapy. Pornography, food. I see selfishness, control, anxieties, worries, stress, loneliness, misguided trust, doubt, and disillusionment in our faith. I see victim mentality breaking off. Anything and everything that holds you back, that clings to you, throw it off. Don't go back and pick it up again because life feels weird on the other side of not having it. Your life should feel weird breaking off addictions. It should feel unnatural because you've made it natural. It should feel uncommon because you've made it common. But that's where the joy is found. That's where the life is experienced, is in the weird, is in the uncommon, is in the extraordinary. Not found in what's, what feels comfortable. TV could even be an addiction. Social media, these things that bind us, that, that keep us from living fully our purpose in life. Because the enemy doesn't even necessarily have to keep, you know, make you go and have an affair or be an alcoholic, you know, kill someone or the DUI or do anything like this. He doesn't have to destroy your life. He just have to, has to enslave your life to your phone. To what you indulge in through foods or drink. But God wants to break it all off. And breathe life into your body. Breathe life into your future. Bring and to breathe life and joy. And I don't mean joy as in like happiness. Ooh, joy, yay. I'm talking about the joy that kept Jesus on the cross, joy. I've said it a million times before and I'm going to say it again. The most joyful person in all of creation and all of time was Jesus Christ in the midst, in the middle of, dying on the cross because that joy is what kept him there he saw you he saw you from the cross and he said you are worth it because by this they will be with me forever by his stripes we are healed That's the kind of joy I'm talking about. The deep-seated joy that will lead Christ even unto death. That will lead all the apostles into suffering. And God wants to break off anything, anything that would rob that joy from your life. Because God wants that full joy in your heart in your life, in your spirit. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Because here's the thing about joy is that joy-filled character leads us to always being ready to do good. Because when we believe that God desires joy, desires good for our lives, we will do it. We will then live in it. We'll live out of that, that faith. Paul and Silas believed it. They watched God do it. They watched God bring joy through them. They spent their lives walking in truth, in the truth and the power of the gospel every day. This is what made the gospel that they preached so effective. Because they lived in its power and promise every day. How can you live in the promise and the power of the gospel every day? What does that look like for you? What would it look like to, to you know, what, what kind of things would you need to change in your life for you to fully live into the power and the promise of the gospel every day? At home, at work, back at home again, wherever your third space is, with friends, with family, how does your life exude the power and the promise of the gospel? We have a watching and waiting world looking to us to see how, uh, how we, followers, disciples of Jesus Christ, handle life. If I want to see how Allah Says to handle life, I go and look at a a Muslim. I look at their life and I expect that they're living out the Quran. I expect that someone who's a Buddhist is living out the teachings of Buddha. Do we live the teachings of Christ? Do we live the teachings of our faith? Do we live our true identity? What will they see if they look at your life? How will they know the hope and joy of our faith if they don't see it in you, in us, God's church? Do they see our lives as better? Because here's the thing, the Christian life, when it's lived by faith, is way better than any life out there in the world. Think about it. We're not, we try to think, you have this like weird sense of, of like false humility, like, oh, we're not any different. Our lives aren't any better than yours. We suffer and struggle just like you. Bullcrap. We have a greater life. We have a better life. Filled with joy, a better success story. Because we live and, and we breathe by the God of miracles. Filled with this Holy Spirit like no one else in the world lives by. We have the possession and the feeling and the presence of God Himself. You can't tell me that that's not going to be a better life than those in this world. We have joy, Mr. Joy, living in us. We should be more joyful than anyone. We should be more blessed and happy than anyone else. And even if we suffer, like go through circumstances like Paul and Silas, or something like it, like financial turmoil or health or or things like that, that are are trials. What do you say? Consider it all joy when you suffer trials of many kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, so that we can run the race faster. I'll never forget. <coughs> um many of you guys remember tom when he when they came here so we i would work out with them we did like the p90x anyone ever done p90x or have you blocked it out (laughs) it's the workout regime so we did p90x i had not worked out in years and i was dead like i could like when i was sitting down i was like oh, 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 oh." and everyone's like are you okay in there like i'm fine i'm fine just pray for me Mm. And Tom was like, all right, come on over tomorrow. I'm like, "Um, excuse you. I can't even sit, dude. (laughs) He's like, no, you get your butt back here tomorrow. I'm like, okay, yes, sir. Now, kid you not, 10 minutes in, I was like jumping around like a deer again, pressing through. The muscles recover and it gets the blood flowing through them again. That is our faith. We do something we're like, "Oh god, I can't even sit down. I'm sore, Lord. I don't need any more." God's like, "All right, come on. Let's let's get another one. Let's go. Let's go more. Let's go another round." God. Sometimes our trials can feel like that. Oh god, what next? Oh god, another one. But every trial is an opportunity for growth. For growing in strength. Getting better growing up, growing in maturity in our faith, in life? Do we approach life with a joyful disposition or with a, you know, dramatic or flustered, just like the, re- just like the rest of the world responses to our troubles in life? Do we see them as opportunities for growth? Ask, ask yourself this question. Close your eyes and ask yourself this question is there anything inspiring and encouraging about the way that I face and endure hardships? Let me ask that question again. Is there anything inspiring and encouraging that would show the power and the promise of the gospel about the way that I face and endure hardships? because this world is looking for life. Do they see it in you? Do they see someone who has encountered a living hope and a true joy? Or someone who's no different than the rest of them? When we live by faith, walk in hope through love, and are filled with great joy because of it, it changes everything we do. It changes everything that we say. It changes everything that we think. When we live life through the lens of our faith, it brings our joy-filled character to every circumstance so that we are always in a position and a posture of doing good. Maybe take this moment and ask the Lord, Lord, what would it, what would it take to cultivate joy in my in my heart, in my faith, in my spirit, Lord? You know, God, you know the things that have, that I've have allowed to trip me up over these these years. You know the things that are clinging. To my life, the parasitic sins and the spiritual fat, Lord, strip it all away. What would it take, Lord? What are those things that are clinging to me? What are the wrong mindsets that are stealing my joy? Show me the purposes you have for my life, Lord. Because joy, joy is living a life Fulfilling purpose. And maybe that's what we need to do this morning is as we before we leave this place is to ask God, Lord, what is your purpose? How do I fulfill your purposes, God? How can I live into these things? How can I throw off everything that would hinder this joy in my life? And press on toward the race. Press on, run the race. Do it with endurance, God. Produce endurance in my life so that I can glorify you and enjoy you forever. Jesus, we thank you for your spirit. And We thank you for your joy. Lord, the joy that woke Paul and Silas up in the middle of the night to, to pray and to sing your praises, Lord. And God, I could even see the the prisoners in the the jail with them, Lord. After they got out, after their sentence, Lord, going and finding this joy, finding this church that exuded such great joy. Lord, let that be said of us, that we are a joy-filled people. That we are a joy-filled people that are always ready to do good, Lord. Let people glorify you because of the work that, you, that they see in us. Because of the joy in our lives. Let, they see, let this world see you. Let us show one another you and share your joy with one another here in your church, God. Lead us in this time of communion and discussion. Draw near to us, Lord, as we draw near to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.